0: Welcome to Toxicology, brought to you by Recovery Unplugged, the place where we talk about all things substance abuse, recovery, and mental health, with guests offering varying perspectives and viewpoints. Hosts Joseph Gorordo and Jason Cabello share about their addiction and recovery and other serious subject matter through lighthearted yet candid conversation.
1: One, two, three, shoot. Ha!
0: You got me. Fuck
1: you, you go.
0: Welcome to Toxicology, folks, the best podcast in the known universe about all things substance abuse, addiction, recovery, and mental health. i, I, I got marbles in my mouth today, but good to be here. Uh, I am Jason Cabello, the co-host with The Most, and as I've said it before, and I'll say it again, my esteemed host, Joseph Corrado.
1: Hey! Ladies and
0: gentlemen, there he is. We were just playing around on Urban Dictionary, and apparently Joseph, according to Urban Dictionary, is the best person in the entire world, the best human being
1: that's ever existed. But you're like a great boyfriend, according to Urban Dictionary. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Folks at home, if you're ever bored, look up your name on Urban Dictionary. See what it says. Pretty good, yeah. yeah. It's uh, pretty accurate. Yeah. I do. I do. Uh,
0: I I I'd like to think I'm a pretty good partner.
1: I wonder I wonder who who does that? Like who are these people that randomly go to Urban Dictionary and are like I'm going to do
0: There's just one guy sitting there with all the names like as somebody <laughs> types it like comes down the tube hurry up and he's <laughs> just typing up <laughs> just a bunch of nice stuff about people.
1: Is this is this our, our one year episode? Is this episode Could 52? Be. 52? Is it? It might
0: be. I have no idea. Happy birthday! I wish Greg was here. I wish Greg was here too, because he would tell us. I think it might be. So let's assume it's hey, our birthday, fifty-two. <laughs> pew, 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 pew.
1: I mean, we could switch them around if we're wrong. Yeah, we could. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wait, well, stay still. So then we could just video over our faces in the same clothes that we're wearing in case that it's not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
1: we'll do that. We'll do that. How you been, buddy? I'm good. Yeah? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing uh, all right. I'm ready for Christmas. Okay. Ready for Christmas. I, don't, I guess that makes this episode not evergreen, but... Yeah. It's, you know,
0: it's works in yeah. progress, but yeah, I as am I. Um looking forward to it. I love Christmas time. Yeah. I am such a... I am, I'm, I'm getting sad that it's almost over and it's not even over yet. That's the yeah. addict.
1: But it got cold and awesome finally, which is oh, – I love it. Yeah.
0: Do you get seasonal depression? In the summer. Really? I fucking hate so you, anything over – we've discussed this before. Anything over 75 degrees and I'm just a grumpy, grumpy, grumpy man. So you have the emo variant right? of seasonal <laughs> depression. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Oh, yes. no. But no, but I I do notice that like if it if it's dark and cold, I'll just get sleepy, but not yeah. depressed. But yeah. I, I prefer it over a, uh, a a hot, bright, eighty degree day.
1: You know, I I tend to get a little sad around the holidays. Do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get. I don't do it on purpose, like, but I get very reflective. You know, like I don't think many people get
0: sad on purpose.
1: No, no, like I don't, like I'm not one of those people like, oh, it's the end of the year, I need to like, you know, assess. Cry in your pumpkin latte? No, yeah, <sighs> Ugh, no, no pumpkin. Uh, but you know, like some people, for some folks, you know, the end of the year is a time where they like reflect on their, their, you know, what they've accomplished that year and whatever, and then they kind of set goals and intentions for the new year. I don't do that, but my mind just naturally gets very reflective around this time. Really, are you're...
0: you're- You're a big reflect, a big reflections guy.
1: Yeah, I think just you know people, you know people that we've lost. Yeah, uh, that's a tough one. You know, even just people that are still alive but the relationship isn't there anymore. You know, all that kind of stuff. I feel a lot of loss, a lot of feelings of loss. Right,
0: uh, it's weird. See, I'm one of those people like getting clean in my in my forties. I already feel like I'm on borrowed time. Yeah, and I don't like wasting time. So I tend to look on what I can do to better, better myself instead of getting pissed off about the things that I've done wrong or the things that make me sad. Like I, I try to, I try to be a move forward kind of, guy. I yeah. try. Yeah, it doesn't come naturally, but you know, that, that's what I think that's been the greatest uh, asset that I've gained in my recovery is being patient and trying to like let go. Trying to stay in the moment, not future trip on things, but just continuing to put one foot in front of the other to you know get some perpetual yeah. motion going. And yeah. you know my my commitment to my own recovery has been going really really
1: well. I'm That's really, right now you're you're involved in uh, service work at a district level now.
0: District? Um, sort of. Well, I'm just bringing meetings into to outside places that yeah. are not recovery unplugged oh, because good. for a long time I was just doing service and at recovery unplugged and you know you hear a lot you cannot make your job your recovery no, yeah doesn't effective.
1: count so it doesn't count
0: yeah if i'm picking up a paycheck for it it's not service
1: you know i used to be super super involved in service work like uh gsr district right. stuff um i've even done some service work for for na mm-hmm. um but yeah i don't i don't do it so much anymore
0: i mean you have three kids yeah. you, you you do a lot it's not like you're and uh, fuck you recovery. Like I I'm cured now. I don't need this bullshit. Like you do a yeah. lot. You know, you
1: have you have a really
0: busy life.
1: So So I was thinking about this earlier. I have certain albums that I only listen to in the winter time. Okay. It's just something about them just feels right for when it's cold outside. And I was wondering, I'm leaning in, if you also have that I'm such a creature
0: habit when it comes to music. I listen to the same like 10 albums all the time anyway. But I mean, I have uh, my Christmas playlist is on point. I have yeah. a, I have a great Christmas playlist. Did so. we
1: talk about this last time?
0: I, I think we, I don't know if we talked about it on the show. Oh yeah, we did. We did. Because we, we were talking about some, uh, the, the, the Kink song. Hallelujah. Yeah. 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 So, yeah I, I love Christmas music, but I, I love music that's like Christmas adjacent to. Because yeah. there's some songs that, like, might have, like, a sleigh bell in there or um, yeah. just mention something about Christmas. Like, Hazy Shade of Winter, the Bangles version the of hazy it.
1: Hazy Shade of Winter.
0: I fucking love that song. It's vibes.
1: Well, well, like, Hallelujah. If you're listening to lyrics of Hallelujah, yeah, people act like it's a Christmas song, but it's not a Christmas no. song. No. Because, like, you know, sure, there's the whole thing about David and the Chord and the Lord and all that. But, like, later on, like, Homeboy's getting tied to a kitchen chair. Yeah, she's cutting so. his hair and from his list. Do you,
0: Do you have a favorite? That's a That's a song that's been covered a million times. Do you Do you have a favorite version?
1: Uh I really like the Pentatonix version, man. Okay. I really, really do.
0: This is. A, I think you're a fan. I yeah, think it's official. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um,
0: Rufus Wayne Wright for me. Yeah, yeah.
1: I didn't know he did one. Oh yeah, it's yeah. good. Old Rufus. Old Rufus. He kind of fell off, didn't he?
0: No, Gabby and I got to see him a couple months back out here. He is just, he's he's doing opera now, so that's why he's kind of, he's stepped away from from his piano stuff a little bit, but he's doing a lot of opera Okay, okay,
1: right on. Yeah. So, uh. Speaking of opera. Speaking of (laughs) opera, our guest today, world-renowned opera singer. No, no, you know what? I'm actually going to do. Urban Dictionary. Let's see what Urban Dictionary has to say about our guest today. Our guest is the duck overlord. He can perform mind control on ducks of all kinds. Here's his name used in a sentence. Look, it's Ben with his army of ducks again. (laughs) Uh, So our guest today is a a gentleman uh, who goes by the name of Benjamin Irwin. He is the clinical manager at Recovery Unplugs Residential Location here in Austin, Texas. He's a good dude in recovery. Solid uh, face tat collection, and uh, has uh, and got sober really really young. Nice, yeah. He was actually 16 weeks old. He, <laughs> uh, but, ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm toxicology round of applause to Mr. Ben Irwin. Yay! It's
2: the Duck Overlord. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: That goes great. <laughs> uh, so Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming out. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh we're excited to have you. How's uh
0: Recovery Unplugged Austin being run right now? If to both the two two guys are just Brandon
1: there holding shit together. No, down? we take the uh, the most senior client, whoever's whoever's That's- been to treatment the most of any treatment group, they know the most about treatment, and we put them in charge. Mm-hmm. Disclaimer Joseph does not know what he's talking about no, I'm right kidding. now. I'm just kidding. Just total disclaimer. Um, but Ben, Ben, we were just talking about, about Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jason looked at me and said, Save it for the podcast. I was like, Okay, nice. fine. Oh, okay. Stealing the yeah. thunder here. And then, like, yeah. So, I mean, I was talking about how I met a, a lovely couple this weekend that was from Houston. And I, I inquired as to what type of ex Houstonians they are um cuz there's two categories right you know uh, one group of Houston folks is they they love Houston they had to leave for whatever reason but they love it with a passion and they have Houston in their blood and the other group thinks Houston is is the armpit of Texas and mm-hmm. don't ever want to go back so so you were starting to tell us about about which category you fall into Ben
2: right yeah and and I love Houston I have some interesting Houston based tattoos that I'll never get rid of and <laughs> oh. uh, and yeah I mean, it's where I grew up, born and raised. I love everything about the culture there, um, the diversity of Houston, everything, um, especially Houston rap yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. and uh, but yeah, I mean it's where it's where I got clean. you know, I have a lot of love for Houston, but obviously since it w- is where I got clean, you know, there's a lot of trauma in Houston for yeah. sure, and so I think it was just time to like end my chapter there, you know, and start something new. I had been in the same recovery community for over a decade, oh, right? Wow, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, it gets stale, I guess.
0: Absolutely. You know? And you're not too far from home
1: still, is so.
2: No, it's super easy. I mean, I'll I'll go there for 24 hours, you yeah, know, right. if I need to, yeah. right? So Houston's
1: uh, you know, I think I also have some trauma in Houston
2: because
1: mm-hmm. when I was uh 17 or 18, I I had a bone tumor that apparently was rare enough Mm -hmm. that the folks at MD Anderson were willing to do it for free, cut it off for free so that they could study it. Yeah, you didn't know this. No, I didn't. new information. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like that was like my first real experience with Houston aside from visiting every now and then, Mm -hmm. you know, was like I'm in a hospital and they're cutting open my leg. And -hmm. And they kept the tumor. Mm -hmm. They kept the tumor and they sent me home with a big old
0: bottle of Vicodin. Nice. Do you still have access to that tumor? Like, can you go and they, do you know? Do you, did they ever send you any like updates? Like, here's what happened. No, you know, or they just took
1: it. And they just like, took it. They own it now. They just
0: took it. Yeah, or they cloned little baby Josephs sort
1: running of all around oh, Houston. And that would be rough. Be, but so, so Ben, Houston, born and raised.
2: Houston, yep. born and raised. Yeah, 1995. Yeah, um, So you're 27. 27. Oh yeah, man, November. Um, yep. Yeah. My, my folks, they were raised in like Illinois, the Midwest and not cool parts. Thought I detected a little Midwest accent there. Yeah. I'm sure it's there.
0: Above a Houston accent. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's there still, but yeah, my, my folks were born and raised up there. I lived there for a couple of years when I was, you know, four to seven or something like that. But other than that, it's Houston. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, yeah, when I was about 15, 16, that's a big part of my story actually is like, my family moved away. Uh-huh. Like my mom, brother and sister all moved to Illinois. And uh, yeah, I was there with my dad for a while. So, so the parents
1: split up. Yeah. So yeah. Well, what was your home life like before that? You know, with good home life, you know, you said brother and sister, so a couple siblings. like what?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm the oldest of three. Um, my little brother's 10 years younger than me. So quite a bit. Okay. A big difference there. Um, and my little sister's four, three and a half, four years younger than me. Um, but yeah, I mean, we weren't I mean, we were, I guess, middle class, like so nothing crazy there, but um I don't know, there really isn't middle class, like upper, lower class, and then yeah. rich. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. um that's kind of how we grew up. Uh I guess we, you know, my family kind of got trapped in like the housing market thing in like 2008, Uh you know? So we were definitely like, we definitely felt like at least as kids, we had more money than we thought we did or, you know, we thought we had more money than we actually did. Mm -hmm. Um, and didn't really start seeing like the cracks of that until I was older. Um, but yeah, my childhood was, was pretty good. I mean, there were definitely like things that I had to deal with later, but it was one of those things where I didn't really understand that they were things I was going to have to deal with until later. You w- know What
0: What part of Houston were you in? Cause Houston's humongous. If no, if somebody's never been there before from mm-hmm. the East side to the West side of Houston is like hour that, and like,
2: 45 yeah. minutes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can't get anywhere quick. Um, I grew up in what is Cyprus now, I guess. I don't think it was like, I guess it was Cyprus. Cyprus, you know, Northwest Houston. So, so uh,
1: what kind of kid were you? Were you a good? Kid? You know, because we talk a lot about you know the isn't before the alcohol, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I was kind of a shitty kid before the drugs, mm-hmm. you know. Jason, still a shitty kid. Still a shitty kid, you know. So, like, what about you? I mean, what 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 kind of child were you coming up? Yeah. Uh,
2: real shitty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I was one of those kids. I think you see that a lot of this. I mean, I worked with adolescents for a long time and, um, you see a lot of this with, with adolescents. I was like in gifted and talented programs when I was like in elementary school. Right. I have a theory that that's just where they put the shitty kids to just <laughs> like kind keep them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, um, he's
1: shitty because he's not being challenged. It, right, right. Right. He's yeah, bored. He's smart, but He's just. setting fires, but <laughs> he's bored. I but. was in GT also, and Jason was actually
0: in the uh, emotionally, emotionally handicapped. Emotionally handicapped in the 80s. That's what they would call what they were in. Because oh. I was one of those kids too. I, in like fourth, <laughs> in fourth grade, I was reading at a high school level. Yep. Mm-hmm could not still can't do math for shit. Mm -hmm. So I was like gifted in some parts. And then I would get into like fights and stuff like that. Or just, I would just not listen. I would just Mm -hmm. not do work. And that's emotionally handicapped is what they called me. Yeah. No damage done there. (laughs) So you were a GT kid.
2: (laughs) I was. uh, Yeah. I mean, you know, he doesn't apply himself, but he's so smart, you know? And so that's that was the monologue that I heard all the time. Would you that,
1: do the thing where like you were failing all your classes, but every time the standardized tests rolled around, you aced them?
2: Totally. Yeah. 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 started, what was it? Tax testing. Yes. When I was in third grade and just never had a problem doing that stuff. But other than that, I was always in trouble, yeah. you know? Um,
1: I think there's something was, there for sure. Like in this theory of like you know not being challenged or maybe like smarter or just maybe more perceptive mm-hmm. kids and end up yeah. doing
2: drugs well also being told that you have so much potential right and you're so smart and talented and um yeah i think that as soon as you start making mistakes and getting consequences there might be something going on saying you know that some shame attached to that. Right. Right. That I'm, I'm not living up to my potential, you know, like I'm supposed to be this smart kid and be successful. And so when I'm struggling, you know, it's just seen as like laziness, you know, or at least to me, that's what it's seen as. So I think there's something to that for sure.
0: I I talk about that a lot too. When when I, if I take a meeting into like rehabs or whatever, I talk Mm -hmm. to people who are just like newcomers, just getting clean and sober. It's like when I was even, I mean, I got clean at 42, and I thought that having, when people told me that I had, had a, when people told me that I had potential, I thought it was a compliment. Mm-hmm. And then after I did some work on myself, I'm like, oh, that was not a compliment at all, telling me <laughs> that I have potential, but They're I They're telling you
1: that you're wasting your potential. Exactly. Mm. So, so smart kid, uh, didn't want to do his work. No. Okay. So when, uh, when did alcohol and drugs start to enter the picture?
2: So, yeah, my parents weren't real drinkers, right? But we always had alcohol in the, you know, the garage fridge, you know, that just has drinks in it. We always had alcohol in there. So it was just like stealing real crap beer, (laughs) you know, Miller Lite or whatever, um, and stockpiling it slowly in my closet. So it was warm also. Um, Loved it. (laughs) Uh, and that started really young. Um, sixth grade was the first time. So however old you are in sixth grade, 12 or something. Um, and then weed came a little bit later in junior high.
1: And and do you remember like, like I, I started drinking and and sneaking some weed pretty young as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, I remember feeling very awkward and out of place and insecure And noticing very quickly that like the alcohol and drugs handled that Mm -hmm. for me. Was there any kind of impulse behind or was it just kind of simple curiosity? Like I'm going to steal some beer because.
2: Yeah, I think, I think some of it was just like, this seems cool, right? Like a lot of that definitely smoking weed was not something that was cool. You know, like uh, all of my friends in junior high, Were very judgmental of me smoking weed, um, expressing concern, which is like strange for like a 13 year old, Yeah, you know, like we're really worried about
1: 13 year olds don't care about shit.
2: No, but you know, what are you doing? I'm, I'm telling them at 13, 14 years old well, this is all I'm doing. I'm not going to touch anything else, you know, but they were already talking to me like I was a dope fiend. Yeah.
0: Your, your circle of friends are pretty advanced. though. <laughs> like, they were, they're were, yeah. like, they like sitting you down and stuff. <laughs> right. And I was like, PE e. and saying like, yeah. we're really worried about you, man. We think yeah. you might have a problem.
2: So I found new friends, yeah. you know, that would enable that for sure. You know? Um, but yeah, didn't really get in any trouble though. In junior high, I got in a lot of trouble, just not for drugs. Yeah. Um, a lot of trouble. That's where the behavioral stuff cranked it up. You know, it wasn't just talking. It was like throwing desks at teachers Mm. and like being suspended for huge amounts of time and fighting and all that. That's where the anger really came in. And that's when I started to realize that smoking weed was like a way to just sedate all of those feelings.
1: Yeah. So you had like some like, Like, what do you think it was anger, uh,
2: Yeah. Super angry, belligerent kid and drunk, um, made all of that worse. Uh, that's how I got when I was, when I was drunk from the beginning. Um, I think a lot of that was, um, it's kind of what I was taught. Um, you know, if my dad ever listens to this, I don't think he'd be offended if I said that, you know, he had a temper, you know, growing up probably still does. Um, and I think that's just a learned thing, you know, that I had that like, that was how you expressed emotion Mm -hmm. and then of course like through media and stuff like that i mean it was still for men it was like that also
1: i think even even today like it's still pretty you know the 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 expectation from society right is is that men either be you can be angry or you can be happy and Mm -hmm. those are kind of the two acceptable emotions Mm um and I don't know if you guys, you know, like, I feel like I'm a pretty sensitive dude. Like, I'm in touch with my emotions or whatever. But I do also find that sometimes, like, even, like, the people in my life, like, they want you to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. But sometimes not so much. You know what I I mean? I agree. Like, like if you try to unpack some sadness, sometimes, like, society or, you know, uh, my wife, you know, other people in my life are, like, don't know how to handle Mm -hmm. that coming from a man. Especially because you're at least... From what
0: I know of, you're a pretty even keeled guy. Yeah. Doesn't seem like you, you keep your emotions in check. Not in a bad way, not like you keep them suppressed, but you seem like you're pretty, you could handle tough situations, you could handle this. So when that breaks, it's like, it's like oh shit. Yeah, like, yeah. I, do you have like a, a long fuse and then when it's yes. there, I, I could yes. see that in you, yeah. Yes. What about you?
2: Yeah, um, I mean, it's something I had to work on, right? right? And thankfully, I got into that work you know, very young, yeah. you know, and it's something it's progress. I mean, it's something that I have to work on all the time. There's still like triggers for me where my fuse is non-existent. Um, but then for the most part, yeah, I can keep it also very good at compartmentalizing, which we have to get uh, good yes. at getting here. So, right. yes. um, so yeah.
0: at, at what point were you thinking like, man, my, my, my sixth grade friends might be right. I think I might have, uh, they might be onto something. I think I might have some issues here.
2: Uh, sometime in high school, you know, I think adolescents do this, but I think anyone who, you know, starts using definitely addictively um, and develops some sort of substance use disorder, like we have that line that we draw in the sand that will never cross, mm-hmm. you know, and for me, that was weed and alcohol. And then as soon as I got into high school, that line got pushed mm-hmm. and pushed and pushed and pushed and before i knew it i got rid of the line you yeah, know and that you snorted it, it yeah <laughs> i snorted the <laughs> line um and i just became a dumpster you know for dope like you know and that's not a specific drug it's just all encompassing whatever right you there. got. yeah it was whatever you gave me you know and so doc is always a tough question for me um alcohol and weed was always there so that's my go to but um i would give you know take Whatever you gave me, and I wouldn't ask what it is.
1: And so when when you got to that, like when you're as your boundaries that you set for yourself continue to change and change, like did that come with like kind of like some some negative self talk of like, oh man, like this is fucking dumb, like I'm getting worse, you know, this is bad, or or was it just like you went with it and it felt good, it was just who you are, and you were just changed because I used to tell myself I just changed my mind a lot.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I. (laughs) Any negative self-talk got deleted by drugs, you know, and so anytime I ever felt some type of way about the way that I used, um, I changed my environment or what I was doing in that moment and stopped thinking about it entirely um,
0: was was there a fork in the road when for any one time when you were like, okay, so this is this is a turning point here if i if I do this. This is just everything that I've always said that I would never do. This is the end of it. Like, I can't really get much further than that. Was there, was there a one moment when you were made that conscious decision to go left instead of right?
2: Yes, it was. I think that was in high school, freshman year, when I got offered something that wasn't weed or alcohol. Um, I got offered ecstasy and... You know, I, that's, went,
1: that's what you kids call Molly
2: now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. We didn't have that. That yeah. was, yeah. Our stuff was laced with ibuprofen and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, this guy was like, you know, had this bag full of colored pills and I was just like, give it, give me, you yeah, know, please. and didn't, and that's something that's pretty common in my story is there was, there was not a second thought. Mm-hmm. It was my first thought was, I don't care. I want it. And didn't think about it again after that. And then thought about it later. Like, why did I? what am I doing? You know? Um, and yeah, I don't know. Um, to go back to your question a few ago, but, um, was there a moment that I thought about the sixth grade friends? Um, yeah. I mean, there was several, the first time was when my parents split, um, or when they sat us down to tell us, right. We're splitting up and I had this, you know, dream in my head, of we all moved back to Illinois and I was able to like not have a drug dealer, not have the same friends and I could start over. I could be a new person. And I was thinking this at 15. And so I presented that idea to my family. Hey, what if we all moved back to Illinois? We're close with family. Y'all are getting a divorce. Like, isn't that a great idea? And they thought, yeah, you're right. That is a good idea. Let's, let's do that. Um, And I tried it for a couple months. We went up there and, um, I found drugs really fast, Yeah, you know, (laughs) um, really fast. Where, where in Illinois were you? Um, I was in the quad cities. So it's on the border of Illinois and Iowa. Okay. Um, and I was in a town called Moline. So not a cool part of Illinois, um, Getting but, out there in the sticks. It's just, just not Chicago. Yeah. It's not... Exactly. Yeah. That's the cool part of Illinois and everything else is not Chicago. Like farmland. Yeah. So
1: so at, at this point in time in your life, right, like Illinois was almost like a little like like a perfect kind of idyllic mm-hmm. sort of setting where you were like, if we would just move to Illinois, mm-hmm. everything would be okay. Right.
0: But, yeah. but you had the... <laughs> the rare opportunity. Cause most people have that Illinois place in their head to be like, mm. if only I could just get myself here out of there. And you had that like mm-hmm. <laughs> come to fruition to be like in your family saying like, yeah, let's do this. Mm-hmm. And then you get there. And then how long until you find something there that, uh,
2: um, so my grandpa was an alcoholic. So I started drinking a few days after I got there. Um, so I had, I think i had put together like four or five days. Um, my dad and I went up there early that summer and then, yeah, I ended up going back, you know, once school started and never right. stayed. Yeah. And then my mom ended up going with my brother and sister, so.
0: But to somebody out there who's still listening or may not personally know what it feels like to be a, an addict or an alcoholic, mm-hmm. five days is pretty substantial, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you're a kid and partying is your thing. Like, mm-hmm. if you could put together five days worth of thing, was did that give you any hope when you eventually, you know— made the decision to.
2: Absolutely. uh, I had the delusions of grandeur at the time. You know, I, I was able to throw away everything I had in Houston, you know, and get ready for this move and, you know, got up there and I just got bored. Yeah. You know, I just got bored and that's why I started drinking again. And I thought there's the line. I I
0: could drink, I could handle my drinking. uh, I'm in a new place. It's okay if I have a beer here and there, mm-hmm. or, you know, a warm Miller light that'll sneak into my bedroom. and Yeah.
2: I don't have any friends here yet. So, you know, school hasn't started. It's like, this is no big deal. Does nobody get yeah. in trouble with, right? Right. Yeah. My but, grandpa's up there doing the same thing. So,
1: but, you, and you said you got bored and one thing that, that people talk about or that we talk about in the rooms a lot, right? And especially, you know, big book talks about feeling of being irritable, restless and discontent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people struggle to understand that, like, for alcoholics and addicts, like, that's kind of our default setting, mm-hmm. right? Irritable, restless, and discontent. And, and especially at that age, I'm sure it seemed like the only way that you knew of to fix that feeling right, was to drink or use, mm-hmm. right? So so what ends up happening that you go back to Houston with just
2: your dad? Yeah, so my mom— decided that she wanted my brother and sister to uh, finish out that like school year um, before transitioning. Cause they had already gone back to school. Mm-hmm. And so my dad and I kind of had this conversation where I was like, I'm sad. I miss them. I can't wait that long, you know? So I want to go back. Um, and he just agreed, you know? So I went back with my mom and my dad eventually made his way back down and mm-hmm. um, And so, you know, I was just there until, you know, and the tentative plan was my mom's going to, you know, we're all going to leave in about a a year or so.
1: Yeah. And so then when, when does things start to go, when do you start to realize like, you know, this shit's going wrong, something needs to change. Mm -hmm. Like I can't keep living like this. When does that start to enter into your, your mindset? Or, or did it?
2: It totally did. Yeah. So, I mean, the end of that freshman year, I got arrested for the first time. Um, that was a big like thing for me because my girlfriend broke up with me too because I got arrested.
1: Yeah, she can't be dating no
2: felon. Right. There was that. And also, she didn't know that I was using um, because I lied to her about it. And so, not only did I get arrested, but she also found out I was using through that. Um, and you know, then there was everything that happened over the summer. And then sophomore year... Um, I had to finish out some alternative school stuff. And then when I went back, um, I mean, I knew there was a problem at that point. I mean, when I looked around, I had lost a lot of relationships, a lot of friendships. Um, at the, one of the things that I did was theater. Um, and I had been kicked out of almost every show that I auditioned for and got a role in, um, was the face tattoos. It wasn't at the time, uh, we covered that up with makeup. No, I didn't have <laughs> any tattoos. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that's when I started to, you know, really think about it. And like I said earlier, just dismiss it as quickly as I could. Cause I just didn't want to make any changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the big turning point was I had a friend of mine come up to me And, and I, we haven't really discussed this, but my parents were in the most denial I've ever seen. And I worked with teenagers for seven years. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'd never seen any other parents in that much denial, but they believed everything I said, as far as I'm holding it for someone. And eventually I didn't even, oh yeah.
1: Nobody buys that one.
2: My parents bought that one. Um, I'm very good. Also, yeah. you have
1: a theater theater background. Yeah. I was a theater kid.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, uh you know, uh, very compatible. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, they believed everything I said and eventually I didn't even have to say it anymore. Um, you know, my parents found, uh, some, some drugs in, in my wallet and in some of my clothes. And my mom was like, why are you still holding drugs for people? I didn't even have to say anything. And so it was pretty sweet. I was great at it. And, um, That's, that's, I've never heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was the thing is like there wasn't any motivation from home to like make changes because they just thought that I was, you know, just up to no good like hanging out with the wrong people.
0: And you you know it's funny that you mentioned that cuz what I'm getting out of your story is that you sounds like you surrounded yourself by some pretty good people, some friends in 6th mm-hmm. grade who are going to tell you like you need to get your shit together. Mhm a girl in high school who like, doesn't think it's cool that you're getting Mm -hmm. arrested and using drugs. she wasn't
1: like, yeah, my boyfriend's a bad
0: boy. mm -mm, Yeah. yeah. You know, you could, that was one good thing. One good decision that you were making back then, at least to, to surround yourself by good, with good people.
2: Yeah. And I think, I think that there was always a part of me that like, didn't want to live like that and make, you know, make those decisions and be, have that lifestyle. And so that's who I, was attracted to. And that's who I attracted. Um, and so that also didn't help the, the shame and guilt that I felt because I was always lying to everyone that was close to me. Um, and yeah, then, you know, the big, you know, when I went, I guess left instead of right was I had a friend of mine come up to me and say, Hey, you know, are you, are you still using, he didn't say that. He said, are you getting high? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you want, you want to go smoke or something? And he's like, no, you know, I'm, I, I got clean over the summer. Um, my parents took me to this like outpatient program. Um, and you know, I can't, I can't talk to you, you know, cause it was people, places and things for yeah. him. Yeah. And he was like, I can't talk to you if you're still using. Um, but I'd love for you to come to one of these meetings with me. And I said, fuck No. I'm not doing that. Um and when I grew up with this friend of mine, um he was like a church kid, right? And so I assumed that's what it was, some church thing. Yeah. Thought about it for a couple of weeks and ended up going and So
1: you took him up on the invitation to I go did. to this group? Right. Yeah. sober kids.
2: Yeah, and I told my parents that it I was going to support him, right? Because he was doing drugs and, you know, You had
1: been holding his <laughs> drugs. Exactly. <laughs> his, his, <laughs>
2: yeah. Um yeah. It was like, you know, I'm going to these like meetings. I may have even said that it was some church thing, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to support him. You know, my parents thought that was great. You know, go support your friend. And, um, we're so proud of you. He <laughs> thought being there yeah. for your friend. Um, and so, yeah, I did that. I did that for months, uh, probably three or four months without telling my parents that it was for me.
0: How um, long until they noticed that you weren't holding drugs for anybody anymore?
2: Well,
1: hold hold on. It's like, I mean, did you immediately stop using when you started going to these meetings or how long did it take you before you stopped using?
2: Right. I had a few relapses. Um, I got 26 days and then had my first relapse, got five days, had my second, and then got a few more days, I think, and then had my last relapse. Um, And it was, I mean, it was how they describe it for sure. Uh, That last relapse. Um, you know, I kind of woke up the morning that I stopped using drugs cause that one lasted a few days. Um, and I was just like, I can't live like this. You know, I'd been up for a few days and, um, my ex-girlfriend who was very against me getting arrested and using drugs came and picked me up and took me home. And I just told her, I, I you know, I can't do this anymore. Called my sponsor and, just, you know, didn't admit to the relapse because I wasn't ready for that, but I was ready to start working the steps.
1: And so this group that you went to, it, was it, was it a 12 step group? Was it like a teen group? Like what, what exactly was it?
2: So in, I mean, they're, they're all over at this point, but it was what's called an alternative peer group. Um, and, uh, it's a model that's been around for a while. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, the program that I got into is, um, I guess you could consider it kind of an outpatient program, but mm-hmm. really it was just like AA for adolescents. you know, it was a free program, which was great. Um, because I didn't have to tell my parents about it for a long time. Um, but also there was just not a ton of like rigidity to it. It was kind of here are the tools. If you want it, you can get it. If not leave. Um, and it was, yeah, it was entirely 12 step based. Um, and yeah, we went to a lot of outside meetings. The curriculum was 12 steps. Um, you had access to a therapist, but I mean, there was like 80 kids and one therapist. So good luck. Um, but yeah. So what, what surprises me is like you had 80 kids who
1: like to drink and do drugs together under the guise of, you know, trying to do better. Mm-hmm. How do you not end up with just 80 kids trying to like do drugs together?
2: So you end up with 40 trying to do drugs together and then you end up with 40 who really, you know, are in it, you know, trying to stay sober. And
1: you, you were never attracted to the 40 that were, that were doing drugs. Like you immediately saw something in the kids that were getting sober.
2: Maybe not immediately. And then there was waves too. um, Because I mean, I, I get addicted to anything that makes me happy. Um, One of those other things being. Uh, the ladies, right? And so, oftentimes the forty that were, you know, up to no good had some lady that I was into, so hung out with them and got up to no good. Um, but thankfully, I got I got lucky a lot and didn't end up using. So <laughs> you
1: got lucky a lot.
2: I got lucky a lot. Oh, not around the ladies. <laughs> I got lucky that I didn't use. But
1: <laughs> so yeah. So I have to assume that like the rest of your high school career probably looked a little different from, from regular, not regular kids from your average high school career being that you yeah. got sober because you were 16 when you stopped. Right. I did. Yeah. yeah. 16. So like, how did that start to, cause I mean, that's a rough patch of time, even when you're not getting high, yeah. you mm-hmm. know what I mean?
2: Um, yeah. What was that like for you? Yeah. I mean, when I, when I tell people my age or roughly my age or guys, just anyone, um, cause I don't have any perspective, you know, because I'd never experienced anything different, but yeah, my high school career was chaos. Um, even after getting clean, uh, and yeah, it looked a lot different. Um, for the rest of that sophomore year, I stayed in traditional high school. Um, and my behaviors were getting worse mm-hmm. as the, after the drugs were removed because I hadn't replaced them with a ton of stuff yet. Um, yeah. So I was doing a lot of, I mean, crimes, you know, committing you a lot of a crimes crime. yeah. yeah, and nothing super like hurtful or harmful to people, but you know, fun felonies, I guess. <laughs> a um, little
1: vandalism, a little shoplift. joyride.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Taking gasoline and like setting parking garages on fire. Yeah. They don't yep. burn down, right? It's concrete. Yeah. We're fine. <laughs> Arson. Um, but you can spell your name. Uh, <laughs> so stuff like that, but it's a good thing your name's short, just Mm -hmm. bed. Yeah. 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 I mean, if it was long, it would, you'd have to go fast. Uh, but yeah. So I did a lot of that, that year it was fun. I mean, it was some of the most fun I've ever had, which was the goal. I mean, it was like, stay sober. And if you're doing that, do whatever you want. Um, and I don't know if that's, you know, the best or whatever, you know, I'm sure you could. Well, I think like,
1: you know, when you're an adolescent, like that's, that's the pitch, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, don't do drugs and everything else is cool, man. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, as as an adult, I don't think that's the the right message necessarily. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that was the toughest part being in it for me and also working in it was finding that balance between doing the work, taking it seriously and trying to have fun because I mean, that it's a pendulum that is one way or the other for a lot of people. Um, And it doesn't work if you're too serious, but it also doesn't work. Yeah. If you're having, you know, fun nonstop. Um, and so, yeah, that was a difficult thing for me to like strike a balance with. Um, but yeah, I don't know that that sophomore year was a lot of fun. Um, and then my junior year got kind of tumultuous because that's when my mom left. Mm -hmm. Um, I got really depressed. My dad and I moved into our own apartment, Um, uh, some stuff that I had never really done started popping up some self-harm stuff. Um, I was never really like, I never saw a psychiatrist or anything. And I, I started doing that. Um, and yeah, um, just started causing a lot of problems, you know, behavioral stuff that was hurting people, um, being very like selfish with my actions, um, around relationships, friendships, anything. And uh, I had missed, I don't know, 50 days of school halfway through this, you know, that school year Um, and the social worker at the school, not the guidance counselor who you never see, uh, but the social worker pulled me into her office and basically said, your dad's going to get arrested for truancy or you're going to go to a different school. Like, you have to make a decision. And uh, he didn't know that I was missing all this school. Mm -hmm. So.
1: It wasn't like today. Today, if your kid misses school, you get a text message.
2: Right. Well, they had a phone number that I gave them, which was my home phone number that we didn't have anymore. That was on purpose. You know?
1: Well, Smart. What I really like about your story, though, is, you know, a lot of people think that, like, getting sober just means all of a sudden you're, like, Boy Scout girl scout you know whatever but just like you know a good healthy happy citizen Mm -hmm. and that's not necessarily the case yeah you don't you don't have to stop setting parking lots on fire necessarily (laughs) Mm -hmm. no but i'm just saying you know like it's okay to have struggles and new challenges that arise throughout recovery Mm -hmm. you know and it's not just like oh i'm better now like I think a lot of the times when when I'm working with someone who's in early recovery, Mm -hmm. you know, they'll be like 60 days sober and be like, I don't understand why I'm still like this. Mm -hmm. it's like, um, so I I think you sharing all that really helps to kind of normalize, like, you know, there's, there's still stuff.
2: Right. And there always will be right. Like there's always going to be something that I can work on. And I mean, yeah, when I work with whether it's sponsees or just clients coming through treatment or whatever, it's like one thing at a time, you know, like let's not load up our plate with too much. Um, cause a lot of times we get clients, like they get clean through detox or whatever, and then they want to quit smoking. They don't want to talk to women for 30 days. They, you know, want to go on a diet and start exercising every day. Right. And it's just like,
0: Eight. Eight days in, they have their life plan ahead of them and all these changes they need to make. And
2: Yeah, you know, and on so day nine, them, they get high. And then know? they figure
1: out exactly what they have to do and then want to go home. Mm-hmm. So what have been some of your biggest challenges, you know, since, I mean, you've been sober uh, 11 years now? 11 years, uh, yeah. Uh, 11 years, you know, so if it, if it hasn't all been rainbows and unicorns, you know, what have been the, the challenges? I mean, you obviously still had a lot of growing up to do, you know, mm-hmm. get your your prefrontal cortex to finish forming, mm-hmm. right? Still like, getting there. No, no, you're, you're 27. You're good on the prefrontal. You're...
2: Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, what have been some of those challenges? Uh, the first big one was family. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it was managing me and my dad's relationship with just us and also dealing with any trauma that came out of my mom and brother and sister leaving. Um, resentment. There was a lot of that there. Um, and that that was a huge challenge that took years to get through, you know, and every once in a while that still pops up. And that's the thing about trauma is you're never done. Um, and yeah, I think to, you know, graduating high school is a big one. Cause I went from being in this bubble, right. Cause I transitioned into a sober high school, um, after that social worker got involved and, um, you know, I'm in this bubble where I'm either at school, a sober school or I'm at my little group after school and then I graduate and I don't have either one of those things. And it's like, I don't have a home group in AA to go to. That was a huge challenge. Um, I didn't go to meetings for a long time after that. Um, And then a lot of my friends started dying after high school Um, because of that graduating and not having anything. A lot of them relapse. And, yeah. um, Like, it's almost like, because, like, when you graduate high school, it's like, okay,
1: pin in that, we're done with the high school thing. So, mm -hmm. for some of them, that kind of overlaid onto the recovery thing
2: almost. Totally. Oh, like,
1: I finished. I graduated.
2: Right. And down in Houston, we've gotten a lot, I say we, but, like, that community has gotten a lot better at bridging that gap. Uh, But for a long time, there was no bridge, you know? It was like, once you graduated, you had to figure it out. And... Yeah, um you know, I had experienced one or two big death, you know, when I was in high school of someone that I knew in recovery, a t- another teenager. Um and then after graduating and it, it's kind of the nature of being in recovery, you know, people that are in recovery definitely understand that death is something.
0: We go to more funerals in normal Can, can than you tell know. us about the first one that you experienced?
2: Yeah, the first one that I experienced you mean in high school or after? In high school. In high school. In high school. Um, yeah, it was this uh, this kid um, who uh, completed suicide um, after relapsing. He was in another program, uh, but at the same, you know, was always around the community, mm-hmm. and it was pretty surreal. Um, the first person I knew that died, um, besides like great grandpa or something. Right. Right. Somebody your own age. Right. Um, and our entire, I was at the sober high school and we shut down for that day. You know, we went to school and then we had this big, you know, community meeting where we talked about it. And, the whole
1: school knew this kid.
2: Yeah. 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 Except for, you know, a new kid or whatever, right. but yeah, the whole school knew this kid. And, um, yeah, we just took care of each other that day. Um, and we didn't go to class, you know, the teachers came by and talked to us and stuff like that. And, uh, that kid, the group that he was in, a lot of them were given the opportunity to leave and go to like their satellite, uh, which is where they have meetings and stuff. Um, and the rest of us, yeah, we just kind of hung out and took care of each other. And it was very surreal. Um, I wanted to feel a lot more than I was, um, because everyone else was you know um you thought you weren't sad enough totally yeah um it was definitely a lesson in like grief you know and how we deal with it and how we just don't have any control over how we deal with it um and the emotions that come with it so yeah i i didn't know that it was going to be something that i was going to have to experience a lot um but yeah i mean I, at this point in my life been to over 30 and that was after deciding three years ago that I was going to stop going. So I haven't been to one in three years. Um, and yeah, um, that was one of the biggest challenges. Um, it's also was a huge motivator for me moving to Austin. Uh, I just couldn't be in that community anymore because we knew it takes someone special, I think, to work in that community specifically, the adolescent recovery community. And we just, we know so many adolescents we meet hundreds a year and develop these relationships. I mean, I've worked with kids for five years, you know, before saw them graduate high school from start to finish. And yeah, it's um, most humans aren't built for that. And I'm not um, at least not long-term. And that was a, yeah, probably one of the biggest challenges I've had to deal with in recovery And it's not that it goes away now, but it's different for sure.
1: So you've mentioned your, your sober high school a couple of times. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for, for our listeners at home who aren't familiar with, maybe you've never even heard of a sober high school. (laughs) What, what, what is that like? How is that different from your traditional high school? You know, I imagine kind of like a small close knit community, but like what, what is the sober high school?
2: Right. What do they do? Yeah. So I, I mean, The similarities to a traditional high school are few and far between. Um, We have classes, right? Um, But yeah, going from onto like a 4,000 population traditional high school to a school that was less than a hundred. And it was in a church, you know, in the medical center of Houston. And yeah, we had three, four kids you know, in a class at a time, there was one English teacher, uh, who also taught photography or whatever. Right. (laughs) There was no extracurriculars, um, because you went to your meetings after school. Uh, first period was an elective and it was check-in. Uh, and that was, you know, we got graded on that, you know, how we participated in -in (laughs) check-in and gave feedback and all that. Um, There was coffee served during first period. Yeah. Uh, We had, um, if the director of the school sees this, she'll she'll get very upset, but we had smoke breaks years ago. They don't do that anymore. Um, but back then we did, uh, it was kind of, was a kind of a look the other way kind of deal. It was a don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. If they ever saw the nicotine products, like they would take them, but they knew what we were doing on off campus lunch. Yeah. You know, um, that was another thing off campus lunch, which we did not have in traditional high school at this point. Um, and the biggest difference was the support staff. So these were people with either recovery coaching certificates or LCDCs or higher, obviously, Mm -hmm. um, we had access to them at any point in the day. Um, I think when I was a senior there, we probably had five, Um, including the director of the school. And these were, you know, not one-on-one therapists, but they were somebody that at any point during the day, we felt some type of way where we didn't feel like we were going to be able to be in class. We would ask to speak to them and it was no questions asked for the teachers. Mm -hmm. They immediately called and the support staff either came and got us or we were sent down to go talk to them. and there's no consequences for that or anything like that. We talk to them for as long as we need. you know, maybe we're given some time alone or you know whatever we need to do and then the goal is to get us back to class where we can be in class um and yeah, I mean that's a it's a huge thing. It's a game changer, yeah. you know
1: how would they prevent people because I feel like I would have just been like I I feel like I got to talk to somebody just to get out of class.
2: So it's not on the teachers to figure that out. It's uh-huh. on the support staff to figure that out. Um, and they were good at that. You know, So like eventually they'd be like, Ben, you shut the fuck up, go back to class. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And it would take us five <laughs> seconds, yeah. you know, cause I ended up working there um, a couple of times for, for a while. And, Yeah. I mean, it wasn't tough. You know, the kid gets down there and they say what they need and you're just like, get the fuck out of here. Go back, (laughs) go back to history, John. Um, and if they did it enough, we had behavioral contracts, you know, which I think most people would understand, but yeah, it would be like, stop fucking asking for support. Like you, you can't have it. You can come down here in between classes and that's it, you know, for the rest of the semester, because you, you know, you took advantage of it. So Yeah. Makes sense.
1: What's the world coming to, you know, drug addict kids sober high school taking advantage of?
2: (laughs) No, it's wild. Yeah.
1: Um, Man, I feel like we we could talk a lot more about the sober high school thing, but we are kind of getting towards the end of our time Mm -hmm. that we have today. So should we do it? Yeah, we should do it. We're going to do something now called Rapid Fire, fire question, question Time. time. Beep, beep, shhh. Shhh. It's Rapid
0: Fire Question Time. It's
1: uh, so a real simple bit. Um, we're going to take turns asking you five questions. There are going to be rapid fire from us, <laughs> and therefore you should try to answer them as quickly as possible. You want to go first? I'll go first. I'll go first. What's your favorite Sad Boy Winter album?
2: Sad Boy Winter album. Uh, Homesick by A Day to Remember.
0: Favorite Houston rapper?
2: Oh, I hate that you asked that. Lil' Flip. Lil' Flip. Yeah. Ooh. Or J-Dog, just because he's so gangster still. And he's not dead.
1: This is the way we ball. let's go! Yeah. All right, Ben and Jerry's come to you, and they say, "Ben, we want to make a flavor for you, but the problem is you've only got five minutes to decide what goes in it and what the flavor is going to be called."
2: Go. It's graham crackers, and that's it. Um, I want the ice cream to be graham cracker flavored with pieces of graham cracker in it, and it would be called. Graham central station. The reason it's called that there's an ice cream up North that's called that. And I don't think anyone would know that it was stolen from them, but <laughs> there's no, you can't call it anything else. Fair. That's, just that's too pretty good.
1: good yeah. yeah. Graham, right. Graham cracker asking with Graham crackers. In okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Graham crackers.
2: Yeah. All
0: right. Time travel vacation. You go anywhere, anytime. Mm-hmm. Where would it be? And when
2: past or future? Oh, past yes. past. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. How would I know? Uh, yeah, uh, I would love to be an observer of the French Revolution. Yeah, that, uh, that's there, just from you know from afar. <laughs> from you don't a want to get
1: in there and you know guillotine a couple aristocrats or anything?
2: I mean, I would love to. Yeah, yeah. okay, participant, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> participant. Yeah, I heard they had a lot of cake back then. You can eat it. The... They did. Yeah, and this in the. In the you know, <laughs> chimneys <laughs>
1: um how many days sober do you have
2: can i check nope Uh um, i don't know c- probably close to 14,000 i think wrong super wrong <laughs> sure. super wrong <laughs> i it,
1: mean unless there's a thousand days in a year
2: yeah what would it be oh like
1: the even then it would only be like 11,000 it'd be
2: like 4,000 something like that maybe It's got to be.
1: I don't know, but that's much closer than
2: 14. Well, if there was 300 days in a year times 11, that's like 3,300, right? Yeah. So it's got to be around 4,000. This is definitely not the mathletic department. No. No, I went to a sober (laughs) high school, so um, I didn't take calculus or anything. It wasn't offered. <laughs> they just go over um, the the metric
1: system of weight. Like, no, not even metric system. No, not the way we grams. Yeah.
2: the way we learned algebra two was craps. Yeah, they taught us how to play craps. i Emotional kidding.
1: handicap classes. They just gave us
0: connect four. <laughs> <and>
1: have fun. <laughs> um, last but not least, Ben. You know, we, this is uh, we like to give our guests one last opportunity to just kind of like say whatever you want. Oh, okay. We have a platform with dozens upon dozens of listeners. Yeah. What's your
2: message to them today? (sighs) That's so tough. um, Being, you know, put on the spot, but I guess uh, find community. That's my biggest thing. There's not enough emphasis on it. Everyone says, go to meetings, work the steps, call your sponsor. No, find community, show up 15 minutes early, leave 15 minutes late and you'll stay sober. You'll get it. Love it. I like that. I, like really I think I think the world could use a little
1: bit more community. Yeah, we yeah. could.
0: And for somebody who's seemingly really good at surrounding himself by good people. Oh, mm-hmm. right. so, yeah, bring
2: that back Yeah. Around. Like that. A lot of those Thank sixth you. graders are up to no good, by the way. Now Are they? Yeah. So, oh, boy. Yeah. Man. Have
0: you had the chance? Sorry to go back into it. Have you had the chance to turn it around and be like,
2: listen, man. There's a couple of them who have reached out that's yeah, great for help. Since then, you there tell is. Them,
1: you tell them that Recovery Unplugged is ready to help and network with most major insurances with virtual IOP I
2: options yeah. as well. Here's my Zoom ID. It's 115 hour. Or just go to a meeting 15 minutes early. You could do that. No, no. Go to, go to Recovery Unplugged. Here's Ryan okay, Spencer's Reco- number.
0: <laughs> 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 Let's put Ryan Spencer's phone number. If there somebody bottom, says his name one there.
1: more time, he's going to walk through that door.
2: That's true. Yeah. It's like... Um, Beetlejuice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> or Candyman yeah
1: <laughs> Candyman <laughs>
2: uh, Ryan Spencer <laughs>
1: no okay all right well anyway uh, that, that brings us to the end of our time today Ben thank you again so much for taking time out of your day to come out here yeah. and share a little bit of your story with us and with uh, all of our loyal listeners online and to our loyal listeners thank you so much for being here please don't forget to like follow share uh, and leave us, leave us a review, a review. subscribe Uh, Website's up and running. Facebook, YouTube, website.
0: uh, Toxicologypod.com.
1: Toxicologypod.com is up and running. And as we like to say here on Toxicology, there's a thousand Thousand ways in in. and a A thousand thousand ways ways out. out. And we hope hope you find find yours. yours.